Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard and welcome to episode five of season two of the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking to the one and only Sky Tipler, owner of MKT Communications, who has so kindly allowed us to record all these episodes in her beautiful, cozy space. Sky is one of many people that, while very passionate and dedicated to her meditation practice, find it difficult fitting in a second meditation in the day. I always prescribe two meditations a day to anybody that learns with me personally, and she was quizzing me as to why the second meditation was so important. In this episode, I break it down with no uncertainty about how profoundly impactful adding a second meditation into your day really is. I hope you enjoy. My name's Sky. I'm from Melbourne. I run a PR and marketing firm. And I've been meditating for quite a long time. I actually learnt when I was about 26, which is, God forbid, 20 years ago almost. Um, And I meditated, I learnt TM and I meditated for quite a while, but then I kind of fell off the wagon and had a party for 10 years. Um, (laughs) It was a great party. (laughs) Um, And then I had a baby and and I met Johnny and relearnt uh, Vedic meditation and have been meditating now kind of every single day for for five years. But there's one little sort of sticking point with my practice uh, and that is my second meditation. So you might notice behind us is a meditation room, well it's actually called the quiet room. Uh, I have a place to meditate at work, I have a meditation room at home. Uh, I have no excuse not to get my second meditation in Um, but there seems to be some sort of resistance around the second meditation. So my question is... um, Please explain my resistance (laughs) and uh, how critical is this second meditation? I mean, I I, I know it is critical, but sell it in, will you? (laughs) Um, Before I sell it in, rather than me explain your resistance, I'm going to get you to explain yours because actually you know what your resistance is and it's going to be very helpful to other people that are listening to this to relate to you. You know what your resistance is. What is it? So my resistance, you know, I, the, at the surface level, I'll make it into a practical thing, but I know that's not the truth because, as I said, I've got all the spaces in the world to meditate in, so there's no practical reason. The other reasons I add is that I've got, you know, 20 team members who work here with me and there's always somebody who wants something, there's always a meeting, but, you know, as, as I think it's Tim Ferriss says, which I love, is that if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. So I put meditation in my diary for 20 minutes every afternoon and I just bypass it. I even used emojis with flowers and fairies and made it stand out in my diary to make it be something that was, you know, really up in the order of priority and I still bypass it in the diary. I just click snooze on it. So I realise that this is no longer a practical thing, that there must be a a deeper level of resistance Um, and probably if I'm truthful what that is, is, you know, it's a bit about stepping into the light and a bit about actually reaching my full potential and being scared of the things that might fall away if I do that. You know, if I get my second meditation in, if I expand enough, will I still be relevant to this business? Will I still be a relevant boss? Will I still be a relevant mother, wife, friend? What will happen to me? (laughs) Will my head fall off? You know, (laughs) all these thoughts. (laughs) Is that the answer that you thought I might give you? I, I I didn't presume. I was genuinely curious to hear what you thought your resistance was. And if that's what you feel your resistance is, then that's what it is. And so I think it's a really great thing to address. 
shall we like unpack it a little bit? Sure. And maybe in an impersonalized way so that it, it can, you know, relate to, to everybody. We have a, an extraordinary capacity to self-sabotage, to place an upper limit on our efforts because the, the nature of moving in the direction of fulfilling our potential evokes a gross underlying fear that we have that I believe is one of our primal fears, which is the fear of isolation. And we fear isolation through rejection and we fear rejection through failure. And we fear failure by not being enough. And so we don't try our hardest so that we never really know whether you know, we actually are enough. We're happy kind of being in the process of fulfilling our potential as our normal state, but never really trying to fulfill our potential for the fear that when we actually step out and really give our best, that it might not be enough. And that that will inevitably make me feel like a failure and be perceived as a failure in others' lives. While she meditates twice a day, and look at her. It's just not enough. <laughs> that is real. Our, our fear of isolation, of not belonging, not being accepted, not being appreciated for our contribution is such an important part of our development that we need to look at because it holds us back from so much of what we're capable of as people and as contributors. So I think that that's something really relevant for you to reflect on. And the, the simple thoughts that I sort of introduce at any moment when this arises is that I can only be what I am. And as long as my efforts are sincere and that I am trying my best, then this is enough. And my fear of failure is generally a self-imposed thing. And that, that fear is generally very irrational in us, but so strong because we so desperately want to belong. We don't want to be isolated. We want to be praised and recognized for our efforts. And we want them to be, they want, we want them to correlate with our our understanding of what we're capable of. We want our, our sense of belonging to correlate with who we perceive ourselves to be. We don't want to be perceived in a way that doesn't correlate with who we believe ourselves to be. We want to be seen fully for who we are. And we fear that not happening. By the way, it's happening already all the time because there's always room for improvement. The world is waiting for you to get on with it, said my wise wife to me <laughs> not so long ago. Thank you, Carla. <laughs> The world is waiting for us to get on with it. And our mechanisms of sabotage are tricky and intricate. And 
even though we know we're doing it, we can, we'll still entertain it. What is the thing that's going to cause you to click into that next level? Only you when you're good and ready. When you really connect with the reality of how you're holding yourself back and depriving others of that. So the second part of the question was how important actually is that second meditation? Yeah. So I prescribe two meditations a day for very practical reasons. The first meditation, when you wake up in the morning, enables you to recover from the sleep state and the REM state, the dream state, and solidify a foundation for the waking state moving through the day so that you have maximum resilience, adaptability, and dynamism in your processes of thinking and responding that give rise to the most desirable outcomes. We want our actions to reflect our desires and for those actions to bear fruit of our desire. When we bring the frontal lobe, the front part of our brain online, that's really helpful for all of that, by doing a meditation first thing in the morning, we're setting ourselves up for success. And then we have a full day of dynamic activity and we have integrated the benefits of our morning meditation through activity during the day. The second meditation is as important, if not more important, to firstly allow the body to recover from the stress and fatigue that's accumulated from the activity during the day, but to recover from the intense activity that we expose ourselves to and to remap the experience of the true self that we tap as an experience in meditation, be imprinted by that experience, and then to come back out again in reference to the day that we've just had. And if we're referencing the self with the experiences that we're having repetitively like this, the benefit that we get is ex exponentially better than if we're only doing it once a day, every 24 hours, is gr very beneficial. Every 12 hours, let's say, is not twice as good. It's exponentially better because we are shortening the time by which we are allowing our current model of reality to reference the true self. Our current model of reality is evolving every moment in every day. So as a day passes, our model of reality expands and evolves and becomes more refined, more elegant, more sophisticated. When we reference that model with the experience of the true self, which we gain access to through meditation, we go, ah, we see deeper meaning, deeper relevance, greater context for action, greater purpose, greater insight, more familiarity, greater artfulness. Ah, 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 I see. Why would we delay another 12 hours 
to expand that model, to refine that model. And so when we're looking on a linear time scale, the benefit that we gain with every increment of repose and expansion, which is what meditation provides us, with every increment of meditation, we refine the model and become that much more capable, that much more dynamic, adaptable, creative, compassionate, free of the past. And so the journey that it would take somebody that's just doing it every 24 hours is considerably longer than somebody that's doing it every 12 hours, say, because the momentum speeds up much quicker and growth is exponential. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so you get there so much quicker. And when I say there, I mean here. <laughs> you get here so much quicker. You become you so much quicker. And the things that are annoying you, that are niggling, and that are drawing you down and holding you back, dissolve so much quicker. You resolve it so much quicker. Now there was a, a question about why only 20 minutes twice a day? It, it depends on which meditation technique that you practice, but in reference to the style of meditation that I refer to as a being technique, being techniques are any techniques that lead the mind effortlessly from the gross level of awareness into quieter, more expansive states of experiencing the self, the self we refer to as being. You are a state of being, not a state of doing. And the experience of being is one that is realized and had through the effortless process of leading the mind into it. These being techniques aren't necessarily techniques that you practice for very long periods of time. And there's a really great analogy that assists in painting this picture. The dyeing of a cloth of a piece of clothing let's let's refer to this shirt that i'm wearing it's cotton and it's an indigo color so there would have been an indigo dye a big cauldron of boiling indigo dye that the the shirt would have been thrown into and slopped around for a period of time now we know that in the dyeing process the fabric reaches a saturation point whereby it is unable to absorb any more dye water in that moment and so we have to pull it out hang it up over a clothesline in the sun and let it drip out drain out and for the sun to fade it and for it to dry out or when it's pulled out of the cauldron it's like vibrant indigo but after 45 minutes of it hanging on a clothesline it fades to almost a, a very soft blue hue in its first first dunk only a, a small tint of the indigo remained in the fabric. And then what do you do? You take it and you throw it back in again. Stir it around, you leave it in for a period of time and you pull it out and you do the same process again. And incrementally over time, what occurs is the fabric becomes increasingly more vibrant with the indigo color. Now go back to the question, why don't we meditate if this thing's so good why don't we just meditate until all of our stresses are gone and all of everything's gone and we just reach enlightenment why can't we just do that 
it's like asking, well, why don't we just leave the, the shirt in the cauldron and let it just soak up until it's absolutely vibrant and pull it out? If we leave it in there for five days, surely it's just going to become color fast, right? No. It reaches a, a, a saturation period where it cannot absorb any more of the dye. The fibers have expanded by the heat of the water and the dye particles have penetrated the fiber and can only absorb so much. And that's as much as it's going to be able to absorb once it dries out. We humans are the same. We meditate for 20 minutes or so and we're only capable of absorbing a certain amount of rest and recovery before we reach that saturation point where the body needs activity in order to process the experience of restful, expansive alertness that it acquired in that state. And we go out and we allow ourselves to, to fade by life and activity. And then what do we do? We close our eyes and we do it again in the afternoon. We get a little bit more vibrancy. We go out and we allow ourselves to fade. And then we go in, we come out, we go in and out. And eventually, the repetition of the dunking of ourselves into being will cause us to become color fast in a state of being. But it has to be done incrementally in order for us to retain and absorb. It's like that. Our capacity to absorb what it is that we are gaining in this deep state is incremental by its nature, which is great because what it ensures is a steady, stable trajectory of integration of the experience that we're having. If we you know, go, all right, everybody, see you later. I'm unenlightened right now, and I am going to go away for six months and meditate. And when I come back, I'll be enlightened. <laughs> the process of integration would be far too difficult. And as it is reported, by the way, by many people that live a monastic life, they go up into the mountains and they meditate for hours and weeks, months, in some cases years on end with very small breaks to eat and whatever. They describe their reality as like living, existing in a bucket of dye water. They, they exist, they live in the dye water. And in that dye water, in that container, they are enlightened. They are completely and utterly infused with the color. But for them to come down the mountain and step out into the world is not something that they can readily do. It causes gross instability. They become overwhelmed and have to get back up the mountain as quickly as possible, generally, with exception only to some of the great masters. But generally speaking, that's what monks report. They don't want to come down the mountain. <laughs> Why would I want to come down there and spoil this beautiful vibrancy of me that I'm, that I'm experiencing as a result of remaining in this concentrated state? Now, as we've explored in other episodes, that serves a really great purpose for humanity in a particular way. But if we are committed to remaining in the world and remaining relevant to the world and significant in our contribution to the world, then what's really important is that our process of acquiring higher states of consciousness and more refined states of our nervous system has to happen incrementally so that we can integrate it. Integration is so important. 
Stabilizing what you have, then move forward. Stabilize what you have, then move forward. Stabilize it, move forward. If we move too fast and expand too quickly, it will create an even greater imbalance in our system. Trying to integrate high states of consciousness in big leaps in the world is very, very difficult. And we see plenty of examples of this happening. People just drive so hard and fast into themselves that they, they cease being relatable to their friends, to their family. It's like they speak another language. And they find it very, very difficult to, to want to be in the world. Or they find it very difficult to be in the world, even though they want to be in the world. They're torn. And it takes them a while to catch up to themselves. And this is a really nuanced conversation to be having, um, but an important one where meditation is now becoming a very big and important and um, popular practice. It's becoming mainstream. And so we need to be having these conversations about this process of how we integrate the transformation in which meditation delivers us. Incremental advancement is long-term ensuring a very solid, steady foundation to operate from. Special thanks to our show producer, Daniel Tucker, a.k.a. Spiritual Trady. Sky Tipler from MKT Communications for the use of their beautiful space. Ali Lieberman for this gorgeous music you're hearing. And all the One Giant Mind team. If you're uh, interested in learning to meditate and you don't have a practice yet, One Giant Mind supports you in two specific ways. You can download the free One Giant Mind Learn to Meditate app, which will take you through a beautiful 12-step process of learning a powerful technique. The alternative is to go onto the website, onegiantmind.com, and check out our teacher directory. We have teachers from all around the world offering courses on a weekly basis, both online and in person. So if you can't find a teacher in your local area, you're certainly going to find one who's going to be able to teach you in a course they'll be running online. And finally, if you are a passionate meditator, and you feel a calling to do something powerful in the world, we are calling for you to join us in our meditation teacher family to bring meditation to the world by participating in the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Program. In 12 weeks, we will empower you to be able to successfully teach anybody how to practice meditation and make it a daily habit. All that information can be found at onegiantmind.com.